Wellspring podcast is presented by Wellspring of Life Church, a community of faith, hope, and purpose. I'm going to talk about our wardrobe. The clothes that we should put on and the ones that we should never, ever wear. Clothing tends to be more of a girl thing. Would you agree? However, I do know guys who place a lot of importance on if they are styling or not. We have a precious lady whose name is Paige, who attends Wellspring West. She has given me permission to share this with you. I absolutely love her. She has such a beautiful and sweet spirit, always has a smile on her face, and seems to always be happy to be at church. Like this is the only place to be on a Saturday night. And I can't wait to see her not only because of who she is on the inside, but also because I can't wait to see the outfit that she has put together from the top of her head to the bottom of her shoes. She almost always wears a hat that goes with whatever style or outfit she's wearing. She doesn't just wear one style. She dones many. And they speak of who she is, of her bright and colorful personality. And she amazes me with the way that she can put an outfit together and always look stunning. She also plays bass on the worship team, and her bass is nonetheless eye-catching. She's just precious, and I just wanted to share that with you. But I unfortunately don't have that gift. Um, I wish I did, and when I was much younger, I did dress to impress. It was really important that I wore what all of my friends were wearing. I needed to wear what was considered in and trendy. Why? Because it was where my identity was found. My affirmation and my value was found in what I wore. But now that I have matured, not aged, old aged, but matured, I pretty much wear what's comfortable and that which fits me better. It's kind of taken me a long time of growing in my relationship with the Lord that I finally discovered that my true identity is in Jesus and my value and my worth are found in who I am in him, not what I do and not what I wear. And that's not to say that I don't struggle with self-image from time to time, because that wouldn't be true. Um, but I do choose to believe what God says about me in his word, which is always right, which is always true, and what he says about me and how he feels about me. I've become more comfortable in how God has designed me, and what matters the most to me is what he thinks and not so much the opinions of others. And I must say, it is very liberating. And really, my heart aches for our youth today. And I wish, as young people, they could get that truth, that their identity is in Christ, 
not in what you do, and not in what you wear. And then trying to find yourself in other places versus finding yourself in who God created you to be. That's my little word for you young people out there. Now, I don't know if you are like me, and this might be more for the girls. Have you ever gone into your closet and tried to choose a shirt or pants or whatever, shoes that you're going to wear, and you put them alongside each other, and you're trying to decide which is going to look the best for the particular occasion. Maybe some of you even did that last night or this morning before you came to church, or not. Or maybe you've gone into your closet, and you've stared at over 20 clothing items, and you're looking at everything that's in there, and you're saying, I don't have anything to wear. Anybody ever said that? Most of us have more clothes than we need, right? And yet it seems like we need or just have to have the newest or latest style we saw in the store or online. It's never ending because there's so many new tempting fashions that seem to be calling our name. Worldly desires never get satisfied. We choose what we want to convey about ourselves by the clothing choices we make. We must answer the question of what do we intend to convey. Every day we're going to choose what we're going to wear, and our clothing makes a statement about us. What we wear on a given day can reveal how we're feeling that day. If we are sad, down, discouraged, or not feeling well, it sweats or we never get out of our jammies. If we are feeling happy, we're going to put on fun, bright clothes, maybe our holy jeans with with a t-shirt that has a quirky slogan, such as, don't rush me, I'm waiting for the last minute. I'm not a control freak, but you're doing it wrong. I'm not arguing, I'm explaining why I am right. Kindness is free, sprinkle that stuff everywhere. And then one of my favorites, not today, Satan, not today. So if you're feeling really good about yourself, you're probably going to dress up. Um, If you're concerned about your weight because you got on the scales that morning, then you put on your workout clothes and you head to the gym. We also dress according to weather conditions or specific occasions. If it's cold outside, we're going to dress warm. We're going to put on boots and jeans and beanies and gloves. If it's warm, we're going to put on shorts and sleeveless shirts, sandals and flip-flops. And at times, we are going to dress to impress. If we're going for a job interview, we will dress appropriately. When we go to meet someone, we're going to dress accordingly, especially if it's a special occasion with a special person. We dress according to our job position. Our identity can come from what we wear, such as a particular uniform. Police officer, a nurse, an athlete, referee, If we work in an office or a bank or for a lawyer, we're going to dress in nice dress pants and shirts. And if you're a guy, a tie. And if we are a mom with littles, we are lucky to even get clothes on, no matter if they are even close to matching. 
So clothing can reveal what particular group we belong to. It can convey if someone is wealthy or homeless. If you think about it, there's every type of clothing that reveals particular groups and particular people. There is clothing for every situation. You can even identify a specific decade based on the style of clothing. However, I don't know if you guys have noticed that bell bottoms seem to be coming back. Yeah, are we like, yeah? <laughs> but looking at you all this morning, outwardly, you look great. So obviously, up to this point, we've been talking about our physical clothing, and I want you to see the correlation as we transition to the most important type of clothing for us as believers. So I want us to consider and answer this question, which is the title of my message. What's in your closet? Not what's in your wallet, because most of you would say it's empty. But what's in your closet? The closet of your heart, that is. So how would people describe you when they see you? the people you work with, the people you go to school with, your neighbors, your family, the family that you live with, how would they describe what they see? As a follower of Jesus, you and I bear his image, and what we wear matters, because what we wear makes a statement about who we belong to, what our worldview is, and who we live for. Let me put it this way. Our wardrobe choices are an indication of our spiritual depth. Believe it or not, God's word has a lot to say about clothing. Scripture always, or not always, but many times uses metaphors in order to illustrate spiritual concepts. And one such metaphor is clothing. This metaphor can be easy to miss because there are also many instances in scripture where clothing means exactly that, literal clothing. Clothing is a reoccurrent biblical metaphor from Genesis chapter 3, verse 7 to Revelation twenty-two fourteen, And it plays a major role in the history of God's interactions with humanity. The Lord is the first and greatest divine fashion designer. In Genesis chapter 1, we're introduced to God as the grand designer of all creation. And in Genesis 3, 1 through 13, he is revealed as the divine fashion designer for the very first couple. And as you know, Adam and Eve became aware of their nakedness after they committed the sin of eating the forbidden fruit in the Garden of Eden that God had clearly instructed them not to eat. They were immediately ashamed and tried to cover themselves up with fig leaves, which didn't quite do the job. It was not sufficient to fully rectify their condition. So the great designer in Genesis 3.21 made for Adam and his wife Eve garments of skins and clothed him. God had to kill, sacrifice an animal in order to show Adam and Eve how atonement for sin had to be made. It was only after atonement was made that Adam and Eve could regain the covenant relationship with God 
that had been lost after the fall. Their clothing became an ever-present reminder of the atonement that had been made on their behalf and their new covenant with God. Now, not only did God provide the best and most appropriate um, attire for the first couple, how about the clothing and the shoes that never wore out for 40 years for the children of Israel while they wandered in the wilderness? God also provided and provides for you and me today the garment of praise for the spirit of heaviness, which many times when your spirit is heavy, when you begin to praise and worship the Lord, that heaviness goes away, right? does, yeah. And Jesus said about himself in Luke chapter 4, which was recorded earlier in Isaiah 61, 1 through 3, he says, the Lord has anointed me to preach the good news to the depressed, the afflicted, and the humble, to heal the brokenhearted and set the captives free, to open prison doors for those who can't get out of bondage, to give to them who mourn beauty for ashes, the oil of joy for mourning, and to put on the garment of praise for the spirit of heaviness. God promises to give us the garment of praise. He's telling us it's not just a garment to cover up your heaviness, but it's the only garment that will drive away a heavy and burdened spirit. I think you and I would agree that the Lord is the greatest fashion designer of all time. And the one with, he's the one with the most knowledge and understanding as to what will meet the need of our heart and life. He knows that which will fit you and I uniquely because of how he designed us. What he clothes us in will never fade. It's never going to wear out. It's never going to go out of style. His covering is all sufficient. And we are wrapped in his love, his grace, and his forgiveness. The Apostle Paul says in 2 Corinthians 5, 17 and verse 21, that anyone, in fact, you can say it with me, that anyone who belongs to Christ has become a new person. The old life is gone and a new life has begun. For he has made him to be sin for us who knew no sin, that we might be made the righteousness of God in him. And 21, therefore, if any man be in Christ, he is a new, new creation. Old things are passed away and all things have become new. And in Galatians 3.27, there's another connection between clothing and right relationship with God through the sacrament of baptism. If you've never been baptized, you need to be. We are commanded to follow the Lord in water baptism. This verse says, for as many of you as were baptized into Christ have put on Christ. Here the phrase put on is, in refer is a reference to clothing oneself in Christ. The state of one's clothing is a big deal in Scripture because of what it means to us positionally and for us personally. The clothing God provided for Adam and Eve signified the atonement that had been made on their behalf and their restored relationship with God. 
Jesus became the living sacrifice, the atonement for us so that we could have right standing before God. When you opened your heart to Jesus, he came in you. And more importantly, you were placed in him. You are in Christ. That's good news. It's the precious blood of Jesus that has prepared and provided appropriate covering for us that we might become the righteousness of God. Jesus did his part. He died and shed his blood to make us his bride, and he has clothed us with robes of righteousness. I would encourage you guys on your own to do a study in the scriptures on clothing. It is powerful, especially the over eight verses in Revelation where we are referred to his bride and clothed in white. That is going to be our garments, white. Now, have you guys ever wondered why we are told by the fashion gurus to not wear white after September? Okay, I wondered about that too. So I decided to look that up. And that came into being in the early 1900s that after Labor Day, you were to quit wearing white because white is considered summer clothing. And in 1950, it kind of became official that you wear white only between Memorial Day and Labor Day. I don't follow that. I'm sure you guys don't either. But if, you, if you're interested to know, that's how it came about. But here's the cool thing, you guys. You and I are going to wear white for eternity. That white's never going to get dirty. That white is always going to remain bright and pure and clean. So you might be thinking this. If Jesus clothed me with robes of his righteousness and I'm in him and he is in me, then why does scripture instruct me to put off and put on certain spiritual clothing? I should be good, right? We've been made right with God positionally because of what Jesus has done. However, we must live out this new life in him practically. So we're going to spend our last few minutes in Colossians 3. So if you'll turn there with me, and we are going to unpack it because Paul tells us exactly how we are to dress spiritually, what we need to get rid of out of the closet of our hearts and the ones we need to put on. In order to put on new clothes, you've got to take off the old ones. We choose every day what we will put off and on, and many times more than once a day, several times a day, depending on the day. Do you, do I, choose the clothing that he's provided for us in his word or our own fleshly wardrobe? Our choice will either display a life of fruitfulness and joy or a life of shame and eventual desolation. 
we do have the promise, you guys, that the Holy Spirit lives in us. And because of that, we can ask his help. And he will empower us and equip us to fight and do battle against the mindset of the world, our enemy, and our flesh, which gives us the ability to overcome, be victorious over attitudes and behaviors that are detrimental to our walk with him. And might I say, detrimental to who he is. We are given other lists by Paul that tell us what to take off and put on, such as the armor of God in Ephesians 6 and the fruit of the Spirit in Galatians 5. Colossians chapter 1, Paul speaks of the truth of who Christ is. Chapter 2, he speaks of the truth about false teaching and legalism. And in chapters 3 and 4, they give us the instructions on how a true Christian should live. Chapters 3 and 4 could be titled Practical Christianity. This letter is not written to unbelievers. It is written to the believers in Colossae, which means it is written to you and to me. These chapters can be divided into two sections. The first four verses of chapter 3, Paul talks about how we are to live for heaven. And the remaining verses to the end of the book talk about how we are to live on earth. To further break it down, verses 5 through 17 of chapter 3 deal with our personal lives, living godly lives versus ungodly lives. Verses 18 through 21 give us insight into what practical Christianity looks like in the home, the roles of wives, husbands, and kids. Verses 22 through chapter 4, the next section deals with practical Christianity regarding our vocation, what we should be known for as Christ followers, as well as ministry. We need to realize that just trying to change or to manage our behavior is not going to fit us into spiritual clothes. Have you ever started out your day with the right attitude? You woke up and you're really happy and you're joyful, you're at peace, and you're thinking, oh, this is going to be a great day. Only when you get to work or get a phone call or school, you're faced with a difficult situation or a person, what you planned on didn't happen, a job position perhaps, you were hoping to hear a better diagnosis, and before you know it, you find yourself putting on fleshly and worldly attitudes. You now have stinking thinking instead of right thinking, and you're starting to smell. But it's not the fragrance of Christ that you're emitting. First thing that you put on, you maybe did smell like him, but now your odor is starting to repel those around you, and it brings no glory to the Lord, and it does not draw people to the Lord. What we wear on the inside, spiritually speaking, reveals who we are and what we believe on the outside. So I think we probably, or should I say, I need to read Colossians 3, 1 through 25 every day so that it can be fleshed out on a daily basis in my life. 
Look, at, look with me at verses 1 through 4. Since you've been raised to new life with Christ, set your sights on the realities of heaven, where Christ sits in the place of honor at God's right hand. Think about the things of heaven and not the things of earth. For you died to this life, and your real life is hidden with Christ in God. And when Christ, who is your life, is revealed to the whole world, you will share in all his glory. Setting your minds on the things of earth is way easier, is it not? We don't have to even try. We face the things of this earth 24-7. What makes it hard for us to set our minds and our things above is that we can't see it or touch it. It's hard for us to believe it. But yet, the men and women of old, the saints of old, were commended for seeing him who is unseen through the eyes of faith, Hebrews 11. And we, like them, are instructed to not look at the things which are seen, but at the things which are not seen. For the things which are seen are temporal, but the things which are not seen are eternal. But it isn't always easy, and the things of earth often hinder our view. Listen to the cross-reference from Paul in Philippians chapter 3, verses 18 through 21. For as I have often told you before, and now say again, even with tears, many live as enemies of the cross of Christ. Their destiny is destruction, their God is their stomach, and their glory is in their shame. Their mind is on earthly things, but our citizenship is in heaven. And we eagerly await a Savior from there, the Lord Jesus, who by the power that enables him to bring everything under his control will transform our lowly bodies so that they will be like his glorious body. Just think, if you and I were to, to set or fix our eyes on Christ and think and meditate and ponder on the realities of heaven and let that permeate our minds. If we would die to our self and our own fleshly desires and would surrender and live committed lives to Christ, then the next 31 verses of Colossians 3 and 4 would be transformational in every day, in our everyday life, bringing glory to the one we say that we love and live for. How many lives, you guys, do you think might be impacted and drawn to Jesus because you and I live out these verses? How might your life and mine be impacted and changed if we applied these principles in every area of our life on a daily basis? If you and I want to be truly happy, we must be heavenly minded. Because then we will be of earthly good. When we have our minds on heaven and we're looking at what Jesus has done and who he is and what he's going to bring us into, you guys, it changes our perspective of what we are seeing every day. That is so discouraging. It gives us right perspective. Turn your eyes upon Jesus. Look full in his wonderful face. 
and the things of earth will grow strangely dim in the sight of his glory and grace. Amen. It's interesting that Paul was addressing the very same things we deal with today. The only difference is our culture's acceptability and even approval in some cases of these things. Paul starts out with the outward acts and then moves to the inward motives. Outward acts of sin such as these don't just happen. They follow a series of wrong choices inwardly. We might think this is a one-time event, but it is a daily action on our part. Verse 5, so put to death or put off the sinful earthly things lurking within you. And the Greek metaphor here for death is it means to deaden, to deprive of force and vigor. Have nothing to do with sexual immorality, impurity, lust, and evil desires. Don't be greedy, for a greedy person is an idolater, worshiping the things of this world. Because of these sins, the anger of God is coming. You used to do these things when your life was still a part of this world. We are to put them off. Our culture says Live for your earthly desires, yet materialism and greediness is the cause of wars among nations and in relationships. Pornography is rampant, not only in non-Christian homes, but alarmingly in Christian homes, which has brought the breakdown of families and our society. We are to put it off. It is to have no place in the life of a follower of Christ. Evil desires have caused entire countries to collapse. The United States of America. We only have to read history to know that what we have just read is true. Living for earthly desires brings death. However, putting to death our earthly desires brings life. Verse 8, but now is the time to get rid of anger, rage, malicious behavior, slander, and some of your translations will say blasphemy, and dirty language. The Greek word translated anger is orge, which refers to a slow, simmering emotion. It is a festering, smoldering feeling, and it's the kind that eats away at your soul. You've got to let it go, or it's going to kill you. <laughs> and then it says, get rid of wrath. The Greek word translated wrath is thumus, which means Hot. Wrath is like a volcano. It will destroy everything and every way and everyone in its path. We need to put it off, says Paul. In other words, he's saying put a lid on it. You need to get rid of it. And then malice. Put off malice. 
Malice, listen to this. Malice is finding humor in another's misfortune. Being spiteful and paying evil for evil. Paul says, get rid of it. Put away slander or blasphemy, filthy communication or dirty language out of your mouth. Blasphemy is defined as a contempt for God or anything sacred. Blasphemy nor slander is to have any part of our thinking or speaking. Nor should vile language come from our lips if we say that we are a Christian, they should not come from our mouth. That's exactly what Paul's saying. That was a part of your old life. Your old life should be dead. It should be gone. You're a new creation. Now live like it. Verse 9, don't lie to each other, for you have stripped off your old sinful nature and all its wicked deeds. Today, society uses this phrase a lot. I technically told the truth. Yes, but did the one listening to you understand what you were really saying, or did you hide behind rhetoric to conceal the real implications? Scripture tells us, That like slander and anger and malice and wrath, this is something that we're to choose to put off. No matter how tempting it is, we are not to use the cleverness of speech or intellectual skill to conceal the truth. Out of all the people, you guys, we as Christians should be characterized by truth and speaking truthfulness. Lying belongs with the old self, and it should be gone. Now we're going to go to the more positive part of this list. (laughs) Verses 10 through 17 is the proper wardrobe that we are to put on, and these are the spiritual clothes that reflect Christ's character. Verse 10, put on your new nature and be renewed as you learn to know your creator and become like him. That's how these pieces of that wardrobe are going to stay in place is because we get to know him and we become like him. We are to be renewed and changed. And our thinking needs to be transformed because now who are we supposed to think like? Philippians 2, it says, let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus. We should have the same mind. We should be thinking like he thinks, right? That's what Paul says. Verse 11, in this new life, it doesn't matter if you're a Jew or a Gentile, circumcised or uncircumcised, barbaric, uncivilized, slave or free. Christ is all that matters and he lives in all of us. Christ is no respecter of persons. He died for all that none would perish. Now, most of you have watched The Chosen. And one of my favorite scenes and lines is in season one, episode seven. Jesus is coming to town with the boys, Peter, James, and John, and Mary. 
And Matthew is in his tax collector booth, and Jesus calls him to follow him. And Peter immediately gets upset and says to Jesus, what are you doing? Do you have any idea what this guy has done? Do you even know him? And Peter goes on to say, after Jesus says to Matthew, follow me a second time, he says, I don't get it. And Jesus said, says, you didn't get it when I chose you either. And then Peter res responds with, but this is different. I am not a tax collector. And Jesus said to Peter, get used to different. Now, I want you guys to all look at each other. Everybody look at each other. Get used to different. Right? <laughs> right. And we can be like Peter, you guys, and say, wait a minute. There is no way that that person is worthy to be saved or to come to our church. Lord, do you know what they've done? How can you choose them or love them after what they've done to me or someone I love? How can you? Don't we do that sometimes if we're honest? Yeah. But Jesus died for all. That none, none would perish. And as someone said, we're probably going to be surprised who we will see in heaven. Right? And then they're going to be surprised to see me in heaven. Verse 12, since God chose you to be holy people, he, he loves. You must clothe yourselves with tenderhearted mercy, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. It's interesting that this same part of the same list is in Galatians 5, 22 through 23. And um, in the preceding verses, Paul tells the Galatian believers to walk in the spirit and you will not fulfill the lusts of the flesh and goes on to mention some of those same characteristics in verses 22 through 23 of Galatians 5. Paul says to put on the new man, put on mercy, kindness, and humility, put on meekness, long-suffering, and love. Simply put, simply put, put on Christ. 13, make allowance for each other's faults and forgive anyone who offends you. Remember, the Lord forgave you, so you must forgive others. Ephesians 4, verses 30 through 32 says, Paul says, don't grieve. Don't grieve the Holy Spirit by living in bitterness, being full of wrath, anger, and malice. Put those away from you. In other words, take them off and be kind to one another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another as God in Christ Jesus has forgiven you. Now, you would think, you guys, that we would get the message that when we read these same exhortations over and over in Paul's epistles, you'd think we'd get it, right? But I guess in Paul's day as well in our lives today that this is a universal problem. It's a daily universal problem, right? Verse 14, above all, clothe yourself with love, which binds all together in perfect harmony. Now abide faith, hope, and love. And the greatest of these is love. What kind of love? It's agape love. It's a love that is not flawed. It's pure, and it is selfless. That's how we're to love one another. 
God's love brings unity, and it's a love that esteems others and always has one another's best interest in mind. Verse 15, and let the peace that comes from Christ rule in your hearts for as members of one body. You are called to live in peace and always be thankful. Paul is specific when he says the peace that comes from Christ should rule in your hearts. It's his peace that passes all understanding when things in our lives are hard and painful and confusing. It's his peace that passes all understanding. And Philippians 4, 6, and 7, you could all say it with me, be anxious for nothing, but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving. Make your requests known to God, and the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and minds through Christ Jesus. And I want to give a word of caution here, because we can sometimes justify a decision, even if it contradicts God's word. When we attach to it, I've prayed about it. I've sought the Lord, and I have peace about it, even though it is in total opposition to God's word. You and I need to be careful because that's a deception that comes from the enemy, and I would dare say that if you are a follower of Christ, it's a peace that won't last. And compromise in any way is disobeying the Lord and will cause you to eventually wind up disillusioned and in despair. And we hear this a lot from people today. They say, just follow your heart. And making that the only criteria to determining God's will. But Jeremiah 17, 9 says, the heart is deceitful above all things and desperately wicked. Who can know it? And verse 10 says, the Lord searches the heart and tests the mind. So who better knows you than the Lord who created you? He knows what's best for you, and he knows what's best for me. That's why we need the word. That's why we need the Holy Spirit to bring revelation and his wisdom into our situations. We can trust that. Verse 16, let the message about Christ and all its richness fill your lives. Teach and counsel each other with all the wisdom he gives. Sing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs to God with what kind of hearts? Thankful hearts. His message, his words are rich, meaning fulfilling and lacking nothing, lasting. We need to share those words, the words of the Lord with each other. Bless each other. Encourage one another with his words of wisdom because they bring life. And we're to sing songs of adoration and acknowledgement of who he is with what kind of hearts. What kind of hearts? Verse 17, last verse. And whatever you do or say, do it as a representative of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks through him to God the Father. Whatever you do or say means whatever you do or say, do it for the sake of his name because you represent him. And as Paul admonished his readers over and over, he says, whatever you do, give thanks. He says it three times in these three verses, and have a thankful heart, and give thanks. 
We should be people who are marked by thankfulness and joy. Amen. H.A. Ironside said this. We would worry less if we praised more. Thanksgiving is the enemy of discontent and dissatisfaction. We live in an age where the abundance of what we have is only matched by the level of discontentment and dissatisfaction most feel. Odd but true. But thankfulness is the key to unlocking the Lord's work in our lives. It's that important. And we're going to stop here at verse 17. But I want to encourage you guys to continue to read the rest of the book. Because it's going to give you practical instruction about every vital area of your life. If your mind is not set on things above or on Jesus, the author and the finisher of our faith, if he is not your first love, but worldly pursuits are, if you don't put off the old self, the one that should be dead, the one that you keep resurrecting, so to speak, it will remove joy and peace and satisfaction and contentment from your life. You're always going to be wanting to find the next new thing that will fulfill the desires of your flesh. Worldly pursuits and fleshly desires are like an empty pit that can never be filled. But if you will choose to set your mind on things above and live for heaven and daily choose to put on the new wardrobe, clothing yourself with the characteristics of Christ that are found in verses 10 through 17, these inward clothes, they're going to bring joy, peace, love, and contentment. Hopefully, if you need to, you will change your garments. Those fleshly pieces of your wardrobe that were in your heart and you, you'll put on the new pieces of clothing that characterize Christ. And I want you to know something, that if you do that, you're going to smell a whole lot better and you're going to give off the sweet fragrance of Christ. If you're in Christ, that's what will happen and people are going to be drawn to him because of the virtues that they see in you and in me. Maybe we could do a closet check and just see what maybe is still hanging on that we need to get rid of and then replace it with what God has given us in him. Thank you for listening to this message by Wellspring of Life Church in Western Colorado. If you'd like to learn more about our community, please visit wellspringoflifechurch.com. So I will lift up.